Good morning again. If I hold this cup, my hand will be shaking like this the whole time. As I mentioned earlier, in our monthly services leading up to the grand opening, we are looking at what Jesus said about dealing with worry. Worry is like a poison. It gets inside us, wreaks havoc, and keeps us from experiencing the life to the full that Jesus came to offer us. We experience worry in all kinds of scenarios, right? You go to a party where you don't know anybody. Will these people like me? Worry. Or maybe you're carrying a tray of food, cafeteria or a restaurant or something. I don't know about you, but I'm always worried with that tray. What if I trip and send it flying in front of all these other people? Worry. Or maybe you see something really nice, but it's not yours. And you think, do people think less of me because I don't have that? Will my family be disappointed or will they miss out because I, I don't have that? Worry. And there's lots and lots of other examples, right? You're probably thinking of something right now. The future is in many ways uncertain. And so we're continually tempted to worry. You've been there, right? Or at least you know somebody who has. Thankfully, Jesus knows that this happens. And he gave us two solid reasons not to worry. We looked at these the last time we were here. Jesus said, first of all, we are most valuable to God. In Matthew 6:26, he says, Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? The second solid reason he gives is worry doesn't change anything except our well-being. And he says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Why worry? Today we're going to talk about money and about stuff. I'm going to share about how worries about money and stuff so often chew us up and spit us out, which is rude, but they don't care. And then our senior pastor, Randy Lanthrop, is going to share about how Jesus gives us a paradigm shift that allows us to experience abundance in life, no matter what our financial circumstances. I want to start by showing you a picture. Have you ever gotten something really nice and then... Something happens. So sad. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was so nice before. And in this case, those angry birds were pretty angry. (laughs) I, I got a new phone recently. That was exciting. When I first got it, I didn't have a case, so I was really paranoid that I was going to drop it and break it. And then I got a case, so I was more relaxed. And then a few weeks ago, I was on the treadmill. Now, if you're here last month, you know that doesn't always go well for me, right? Worry. There I was, earbuds in, listening to something on the phone, hitting the treadmill, or, or patting it, depending on how real we want to get here. And I managed to lose control of the phone and watch it go bouncing across the floor. It bounced, really. Ah! It was okay. It, it wasn't damaged. But for a moment, my heart went out to it, right? <laughs> my, my heart's wrapped up in that phone. I mean, do you ever worry about that sort of thing? You get something new, it's not going to be new forever. It's going to get messed up. You get a new car, it's going to get dinged. One thing for me, you may not be able to relate to this, but like computer monitors, they're new, there's no fingerprints on them. Somebody's going to come and put a fingerprint on there, even if it's not you. It's it's not going to be as nice anymore. 
Or somebody's going to step on your foot when you've got your new shoes on. Why do we worry so much about that stuff? Well, the bottom line is, I like stuff. You probably like stuff. My heart gets wrapped up in it. Right? Deep down, somewhere down in my heart, I think, the things I buy will give my life meaning. But there's a catch. Not only is that stuff going to get older, but when you have your eye on something new, right? Oh, I'm going to get that. It's going to be great. And then you get it. What happens three months later, six months later? There's a new one. It's even better, right? New one's released. There's always something newer, cooler, more powerful, more impressive. And my appetite can't be satisfied. I'm always going to want the next thing. Do you know what I mean? So stuff can be thrilling when it's new, but it also introduces worry because our stuff doesn't last. Even if it's supposed to be the ultimate, it gets outdated. It gets lost or damaged. And because our hearts are wrapped up in our stuff, we worry. Now, let's face it. If we don't have it, we don't have to worry about losing it, right? I never worry about my private jet crashing. I never worry about my invisibility cloak getting lost, which would be really easy, by the way. Think about it. The stuff we treasure introduces worry into our lives, and so does the money that we use to get the stuff. We worry about earning money, investing it, having enough. We're dealing with an economic downturn right now, and it's been going on for quite a while. If you look at the news, read the papers, surf online, there's all kinds of opportunities to start worrying. I mean, that poison can soak in really fast if we're not careful. And that's just worrying about things in a kind of general, out there way, right? And when it gets personal for us, then worry knocks on the door. It really goes on attack, knocks on the door early and often. When it comes to my day-to-day finances, I'm, I'm vulnerable to that, right? That new phone I mentioned has an app on it that allows me to check my bank accounts, Mint.com. You know what I'm talking about? Sounds refreshing, right? Mint. Tingly. But actually, it can be intimidating. You get an alert beep. It's not like, you've got mail. It's like, please log on to Mint.com. ASAP. This could get ugly. That actually happened to me earlier this week, believe it or not. It wasn't Mint.com, but I got an email from the bank saying there was a bit of a cash flow issue. That is no fun. It's worrying, discouraging. But this past week when it happened, it was nothing compared to a few years ago when the bottom fell out on my family's finances, when things really did get ugly. I'd like to share with you about it briefly because it ties right into what we're talking about today. I'd had a job for about three years or so, and uh, it was winding down. And so I transitioned into a commission-only sales job. I took it because there weren't really any other great options at the time, and I thought it would be a good learning experience. It was a great learning experience. I learned I'm not good at commission-only sales. (laughs) I also learned that my sense of worth was more wrapped up in making money than I thought it was. I think back to high school. It's like, oh, I was just sure I was going to go out and kind of like George Bailey, do whatever I wanted, you know, be powerful and successful and, and famous. And I would think back during those tough times and think, what an idiot. What was that kid thinking? Right? It was really hard. The, the savings that we managed to accumulate before that were dwindling away. And so a month would come, I'd transfer some out, and I'd have a little panic attack. Next month or six weeks later, whatever, transfer some more out, another panic attack. And it kept going. 
until it was gone. It was all gone. And I wrestled with discouragement and self-condemnation as I fought this worry. Um, and what, what was wrong with me that I couldn't provide for my family? Right? I must have done something really foolish, I was thinking at the time. I must have done something really foolish to, to mess things up like this for us. When was that? Because I'd like to go back to that time and find former me and wring my neck. We went through some pretty dark days. But as we did, God showed me in a whole new way that he was enough for me. I learned that my best without God wasn't enough. I learned that really clearly. But I also learned that with God's help, I could persevere. And there's a verse at the time that was really helpful that I still try to cling to. It gives perspective on this. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 was a major encouragement. Though the fig tree does not bud, though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Now, if you can't relate to not having figs or olives or sheep, I'm there with you. But what it's saying, right, is that when all earthly resources are gone, God is enough. It's also saying, and this was something I had to be reminded of again and again, I can choose joy in the midst of those kind of difficulties. Now it's think, well, what does it mean to like climb on the heights like a deer? Is that like a mountain goat that just kind of walks up instead of a person having to climb up with a pick and ropes and all that stuff? Whatever it is, God can take me to the heights he wants me to go to and beyond. Take me past these difficult times. So I had good days and I had bad days along the way. It was a struggle. A lot of good came out of it. But trust me, I am glad it's over and I hope it doesn't happen again. But God always provided. He provided through sales at just the right times. He provided through the incredible generosity of family and friends. Many different people, different amounts. One time, um, one of my wife's cousins or her mom's cousin or something, they got together, and they don't, they don't live around here, but they happened to get together, and they said, hey, you know, we want to give you a card. And so she took the card home and, and read it later, and... Um, some of this they explained separately, but they basically said, you know, for a long time, we didn't know, the husband in particular didn't know if God was real or whether he really wanted to relate with God and walk with God. And he had kind of come back from that and was really enjoying life in a new way. But along the way, he'd also been out of work for a long time and had really suffered through that. And he said, we'd like to help you in the middle of what you guys are going through. It was a check for like $800 in there. And that was just mind-blowing. You know? There was a lot, of, a lot of other generosity along the way. So God was providing. He was providing through the love and support of my wife, Lori, and little Joshua. So he was really little and super. I mean, how can you not be encouraged by a cute little kid, right? And God provided through a community of people who walked through it with us, encouraged us along the way. Now, lots of people have stories of financial stress like this. Or much worse. It's a pretty normal part of life. Now, this stress creates all kinds of collateral damage, though, in our 
marriages, in our families, even in our health. You get stressed out enough, it will affect your health. And the thing is, most of us have to think about money all the time. We're constantly having to make decisions about our finances. So we end up stressed out, worried. Or maybe thinking that if we just had more money, we'd be happy. Relief would come. That appetite that I mentioned earlier, right, that's never satisfied. Do you ever hear about a lottery winner who wastes their newly won millions or has all kinds of personal problems after they win? You ever heard about that? And then you think, give me a chance, right? I'll do it right. I mean, I think that repeatedly. Those other folks had tons of money and they weren't happy, but I am sure that I will be. There's an easy response to that kind of thinking, right? I'll I'll text it to you, LOL. (laughs) It's just not the way it works, but I think that's the way it works, but it's not. But I think maybe, maybe for me, for me, yeah, it'll work. And all the while, we long for meaning and purpose in our lives. We send our hearts towards money and stuff. It doesn't provide it. Well, thankfully, there is good news. Jesus knows that we face this. He teaches his followers how to turn their hearts, steer our hearts in a totally different direction so that we can view money and use money God's way. When we do that, we start to experience an entirely new abundance in life. I'd like to invite up Randy Lanthrop, our senior pastor, to walk us through the paradigm shift that Jesus offers us when it comes to money and possessions. As he comes up, we'd like to show you a video. The video shows a couple who has approached money in a pretty normal way. And they put their faith in a company that has not stood the test of time, to say the least. But check it out. There's some hints about why following Jesus in this area makes a whole lot more sense. Hey, how'd it go? Oh, not too bad. Um, it was good practice. What are you doing? Uh, going through our finances. I'm not sure, but it seems that we may be in a little bit of a pickle, Dick. Well, sure. Our financial bounce back has taken a little bit longer than expected, but, you know, that's natural. Our lawn was repossessed today. I didn't even know they could do that. Now, I'm, I think that maybe it's time that you should start thinking about accepting something a little bit lower than a vice presidency. No, it took me 15 years to get a VP ship. If I step back now, I'll lose everything I worked for. We're just going to have to suck it up for a couple of months. In a couple of months, we'll be declaring bankruptcy. Oh, come on. Our, our savings, look, our savings was in Globadine stock. And look, our pension was in Globadine stock. Oh. And everything was in Globadine stock. Mom, he lives covered with dirt. And he's so much fun. I call me a food man. Now, Billy is looking at the glass half full. Hun, Relax. We've got 600 grand. Where? We're standing in it. Our house. Since Globadine, the local property market crashed, Dick. If we sold our house today, we would actually owe the bank 150 grand. We knew it. 
It was churning in my gut, and I didn't listen. It's going to be okay. You, you know? You said that we could afford this I house. I know what I said. That we could take out a I second mortgage, so that we could, we could put in the pool, we yeah. could redo the kitchen. I said that. All of that, and now we are on the verge of losing the house. If we lose the house, well, then Billy loses all sense of security. And later on, never be able to have a relationship. So we just spend his whole life just alone. Just, there he'll be, just alone. Nobody with him, just like a bum. Hun? Like a... Hun? Yeah. You need a paper bag? You said everything was going to be okay. Mr. Dick, something wrong with your electricity. That's only sort of funny. <laughs> because that is exactly where our minds tend to go when we're dealing with with the future, when we're dealing with our future. And what's going to, did you notice the attitude of the boy? Loved it. Hey, I love dirt, man. This is awesome. The lawn's covered in dirt. We can have a good time. That's because his heart isn't tied to what the neighbors are going to think or continuing our upward mobility and our upward climb. Uh, his value wasn't tied to those things on, on that. Um, and his most famous message has been mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus clarifies what it looks like to be a follower of his. And in the process, he gives us some great guidance on how to live and deal with the worry uh, that, that we deal with and attacks us and over the possibility of what we've just seen in this clip, you know, life just crashing in around us. He, he gives some real help. In the middle of the sermon, what he does is he takes a big chunk of time and he covers how to handle worry. Last, week, last month we looked at some of the reasons he gave not to worry. If you back up, in verse 25 he says, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Don't worry about your life. And if we back up, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you, you can back up and find out why it's there. You can find it's, it's actually pointing to something that has just been said. And in this case, Jesus is going back some reasons and principles to stop worrying and how to do that, especially over money and possessions and a couple paragraphs before that statement. Up until this moment in the message, he was talking about some major concerns in our lives that bring worry, one of which is finances, money and possessions. And in his teaching, Jesus uncovers the key to dealing with financial worry. Matthew 6, 19-21, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What Jesus is saying is this, What you treasure in your heart magnifies or minimizes your worry. What, what you hang on to, what you're wrapping your life around, what you're really all about, the reason you get up in the morning, that is either going to magnify, it's going to amplify, it's going to blow up your worries, or it's going to minimize those worries. That is an incredible insight. Our heart is going to be focused on what we treasure. Uh, literally, that, that word that in the original language is written in means 
Whatever we have an abundance of, that's our treasure. Or whatever we want an abundance of. We may not have it, but we want it. We want a lot of whatever it is we really treasure. And to regulate the heart, we need to make sure that we treasure or value the right things. That's what Jesus is saying. When you go to the doctor for a checkup, what does he do? He checks your heart. He listens to it. Because to be healthy, you have to take care of your heart. It's crucial. So the first thing Jesus does in talking about financial worry is he goes straight to the heart of the matter. He goes right to our heart. And he he says this, basically, about financial stress. The way to deal with it is, um, or one of the key principles of dealing with it is this, living for the temporal magnifies our worries. Living for temporary stuff just blows them way out of proportion. If you're plugged into the media at all, you listen to the radio, watch TV, go to the movies, whatever, you probably struggle with wanting stuff. According to one study, 60% of Americans have something in mind that they're looking forward to buying. Something on their mind. You ever get this? You get the burn for something. I gotta have it. I want it. I got, I, you know, and so we're just thinking about, okay, how can I move this money over here? Or how can I do this? 60% of us are thinking about something we want to buy at any given point in time. And we receive countless messages designed to create discontent and show us how much we need whatever it is the the messages they're selling, whatever the marketing campaigns are, are putting out there. They're extremely effective at, at, at making us feel like we need what they're selling. We begin to want it. And that's what happens. Treasure, as Jesus is talking about, is what we value the most. What is most important to us is what we live for. And we will trade our time to get it, which is our life. Time equals life. If we treasure things that deteriorate and might get taken away from us, like Ben was talking about, we live a very unsettled and worry-filled life. If that's what our heart's wrapped around. I'm, I'm very grateful for my house. Very, very grateful. It's an amazing thing that God's provided it for us. But I watch it fall apart. <laughs> time after time. I, when We moved in about 13 years ago. And got a new roof, 25-year roof. Thirteen years later, I watched the roof crumbling, you know, and I think, we're only about 12 years. i got to replace the roof. This is how stuff is. It wears out. This is the way it is. And Jesus says, if you're living for temporary stuff, it amplifies your worry Because our hearts get wrapped around stuff that keeps falling apart and that gets lost or stolen. And we know that the end result will be total loss. That's the end result with our stuff. We know this deep down, that nobody can pack a bag and take it to heaven. Nobody gets carry luggage with them. All the earthly stuff we leave here. And so we know this, so if our heart's wrapped around the stuff of life, then we're very unsettled, very worried about where this is all going. 
So Jesus points out in his statement there that I just read, he says to wrap our heart around the right things, treasures in heaven. Living for the eternal maximizes meaning today, right here and now, and it minimizes worry. At first glance, this this may not make a lot of sense to you, uh, but we can actually live right now for things that are going to last forever. The Bible teaches that there are two things that last forever. God's Word that you find in the Scripture, in the Bible, and people. People last forever. That's not necessarily a normal perspective today that people are going to last forever. Uh, the, the prevailing thought is that people are temporary. This life is all there is. Uh, we're just sort of an accident that has come together. Um, but the Bible says we will go on for eternity. And in fact, it says that God has put eternity in our hearts. So there's something in us in those quiet moments that, that sort of rebels against that idea that this is all there is. Because God has placed eternity in our hearts, and we know that there's more to life than just the here and now. We know deep down in our soul that there's more to life than just earth, and that we're going to go on forever. Bible says people live forever. It says God's Word live together. So how do we build treasure in heaven? We love God by doing what he says in his word, and we love the people that he put around us. That's how you build treasure. If we lay up treasure by making an investment in things that last, we experience a deep sense of satisfaction as we look back over the story of our lives. And, and that's, that's the key to living a life that minimizes the worry that we experience. We were made to love God. We were made to love people. And when we do that, meaning gets packed into our days. And I want to show you, with that as a backdrop, I want to show you another passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy 6 that really helps put some feet to building worry-free treasure. Uh, first thing to get on track with building lasting treasures is to locate your hope and then place it in the certain. And I'll explain what I mean by that. But locate your hope. Figure out where your hope is and then place it in the certain. First Timothy 6.17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You can locate or identify where you're placing your hope by considering your thoughts and concerns. What, what are they swirling around? What are you thinking about? What are you concerned about? What is it that's consuming your mind? If your thoughts keep circling back to earthly treasures, to earthly stuff, then you tend to live with a great deal of uncertainty because their future is shaky. You're not... You know they're not going to last forever. This stuff's it's wearing out. Things happen. We deal with all kinds of heart checks in our lives. Your car gets dinged or scratched or wrecked. That's a heart check. It's, a, it's an opportunity. Is, is that really the most important? Somebody breaks a glass or a dish or 
they have an accident of some kind, they spill stuff on the carpet or whatever it is, it's a heart check. Do I, am I going to respond to that in a way that makes it seem like the car or the dish or the glass is the most important thing or is the person the most important thing? You lose your cell phone. You know, how do I respond to that? Earthly stuff isn't bad in and of itself, and if I lost my cell phone, that would really hurt. It would take me a while to get over it. But what we need to do is have this perspective that Jesus talks about that helps us land in the right place so that day by day we're giving ourselves to the right things. We're doing the right things. We're wrapping our heart around what's important, what's truly important, and not wrapping around money and things that are really hollow. Really hollow stuff. We're told in First Timothy to put our hope in God. He's the one that's able to supply our needs. As Ben was talking about, that was a great, great story, a great illustration. I've experienced that so many times. It looks like everything's crumbling around. You know, in the movie Dick and Jane, you can see things falling around them. Where, where do we turn now? Where do we go now? I've found that when I turn to God and I look to Him, He gives me everything I need. He is enough. He never changes. He never leaves me. He never leaves us. But he always gives us everything we need as we trust him. If you're, if you're investigating what it means to follow Christ, uh, I'd like to give you some perspective that may help or just maybe give you a clue as to where he's going to lead you or what he's going to do if you decide to follow him. If you decide to follow Christ, he will bring a radical change in what's important to you. This is what you can expect. When you give your life to Christ and you decide to follow him, you make a decision to let him change you. Whatever he decides, whatever he puts his finger on, you say, I'm going to allow you to change that very thing. And one of the things that he's going to work on, one of the things that he's going to change is your attitude toward money and possessions. And it's in that change that you begin to get freedom from worry. As he changes, he always changes us for the good. And as we allow him to change us, as we allow him to shift our, our perspective and our values on money and what's really important, that very change that Jesus is going to bring about in us can set us free from the bondage of financial worry. This brings an important question up. How do I know Jesus really can do that? Set me free from that kind of bondage. How do I know that he has the power to help me change, to make me new? How do I know that? Well, Jesus certifies our hope and changes our hearts. This is what he does when you come to him. He certifies our hope that we place in him. I don't know, you ever see these pictures of uh, certification on the web? I think there's one on the next screen, a picture of a certified stamp, maybe not. No? Oh, didn't make it into that version of the PowerPoint, sorry. It was a really cool certification stamp. That <laughs> but anyway, you see them on websites when you're about to pay money for stuff. They've got that little stamp certified by whatever. It always makes me feel better. I have no idea what it means or who it's tied to, but I feel better about it. 
What Jesus actually does in reality is he certifies the hope that we place in him. And here's how he does it. First Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. This hope is alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Jesus certifies this. When we decide to follow him, he gives us this very hope right here. It is not going to go away. It cannot be taken away. It does not deteriorate. It is there forever, kept in heaven for us. The hope of the Christian faith is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how he certifies the hope that we place in him. If you put your hope in Jesus, your, your hope is certified by his resurrection. And if you're investigating who he is, what it means to follow him, or trying to figure out, how do I know he really is who he is? The resurrection is the key. That book that we give to first-time guests has some great uh, help for understanding the historical event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and knowing the, uh, the historical event. And it can move us toward putting our faith in Christ. It's not going to convince us beyond all doubt, but it moves you to where you really can put your faith. It still requires faith. But as you put your faith in Christ, he certifies the hope and the faith you place in him. And then he begins to change your heart and help you deal with all of the stuff like worry. That's, that's what he's showing us in that message that we've been looking at. As we give ourselves full of Christ, he changes our hearts. He certifies our hope. He begins to change us and move us in a very different direction. And then he leads us to be rich in good works and generosity. This is how we build for the future. This is how we build for eternity. First Timothy six eighteen and 19. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is really life. Now, this, this is counterintuitive. This is the backwards from what we normally think about. We think life is amassing all the treasure that we can. But really, life is found in peeling ourselves inside out and giving stuff away, serving others, giving others, giving the things that God's blessed us with that we can share away. You and I can't guarantee our financial futures. Our stuff keeps wearing out. It falls apart, it depreciates, loses value, gets lost or stolen. One time uh, a car got stolen. I went in to do a job. I had a janitorial service uh, working my way through graduate school, went in to do some work, came out, the, the car was gone. I threw a party. I hated that car. But but what happened is I, I threw a party until I called my wife and found out it wasn't worth enough to insure. I threw the party because I thought, all right, we're getting money. We can get another car. Oh, no, 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 no. It went out. <laughs> that went away. Stuff happens like that. It keeps happening to our stuff. With God's help, 
we can love people, whether a stuff's falling apart, whether it's got stolen, whether, whether things are crashing in around, with God's help every day of our lives, we can love people by doing good and by sharing generously to help them out. We can do that with the help of God. We can't guarantee our future, but if we're focused on those things, he will give us what we need to do that. And what happens is it brings stability and meaning to our days. Because life isn't about getting all this stuff that I can't guarantee, but it's about really serving others and loving them that I can do with the help of God. If I wrap my heart around that stuff, it's a very uncertain existence. But setting my heart to do good and be generous pleases God and it shifts my focus off of the things that magnify worry and maximizes meaning and minimizes those worries. So this is what Jesus tells us to do. We desperately need God's help to make that shift. So in a moment, I'm going to ask God for help. But before we uh, continue by singing some praise songs, I'd like to ask the, the band to come up and get ready to lead us in that. I'd like to ask you to think through some next steps as a result of hearing the message this morning, looking at what Jesus said, and then looking at what one of his followers said later on in First Timothy. Um, if you would, pull out the connection card, and on the back of that, there's some next steps listed. Ben mentioned a couple, and then I'm going to walk through some. But you could take the time to complete this card and let us know if you're planning to take any of those steps and then drop it in the offering basket as it comes by. That would be great. Here are some suggestions. Uh, You may have something that God said to you uh, that isn't in line with these. But first step, memorize 1 Timothy 6.18. Just to remind me, when you get up in the morning, this is what we're to do. If you decide to follow Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, This is what we're to do. We're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. God, help me. Would you help me with this? Would you help me to set my heart on looking for the opportunities to love people and to treat them the way that you want me to, as you've showed me in your word? So memorize that verse. Be a great help in doing that every day. Second step. Begin building worry-free treasure by. You can fill in the blank. Maybe God's spoken to you as we walk through these things this morning. And you want to begin building that worry-free treasure in a specific way. You can write that out. If you haven't yet committed your life to Christ and you're ready to do that, you can let us know. That'd be great. For the first time, I'm deciding to accept Christ as my Savior and follow Him as Lord. Let us know on that card. We'd love to support you. We'll send you some stuff. We won't hassle you in any way, but we'll send you some stuff that would help you in in that decision and in taking the steps to follow Christ, your first few steps. And then you could sign up for a life group by putting the number and the night that the life group's on. Uh, Really glad you're here with us today. This is great. This is uh, worship number two in Alhambra, and this this has been a lot of fun. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask for your help, God. We, we need your help desperately to shift our focus off of the things that are uh, in this world, the things that make up uh, our normal pursuits. We need your help to shift our focus to loving you by obeying you and loving the people that you put around us. We ask for your help in doing this. God, give us the strength 
and just the the reminders to take the steps that you've laid on our hearts to take today, God. We ask for this help in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.